but had been up that day that she went home to be with the Lord. Uh, one of the aides went in, checked on her, said she was breathing a little erratically, and a little while later the nurse went in, and she had just slipped out into... She went home, okay? That's one thing that mom would always ask when we would go in. When am I going home? Uh, I don't know. I, God only knows how many times she asked that question. And uh, we'd say, Mom, when the doctors tell you you're ready to go home, you can. That satisfied her somewhat. And, uh, but regardless, she went home. And thank you, ladies, for the, uh, your kindness, uh, for the good meal last night. Wow. After the service down South Carolina, Mom's home church uh, fed the family and a good number of other people. And I've known that church since I was a little boy growing up. But uh, we went in, and that looked like a homecoming spread they had put out there. Wow. Country church, country cooks, and uh, wow. And so I, I was grading you last night, all right? You equal what they did. So we thank you so much for that. Uh, we do appreciate that. Uh, Less uh, Miss Jean gets me, there's some cards out on the table. All right, there's three of them out there that need to be signed. One of them is for the pastor. So if, if he gets a card from Miss Jean and there's no signatures on it, that's the wrong signal. <laughs> Not the right signal by any means. You heard about the little boy, two little boys sitting in church, sitting at the back, and they were chatting as the preacher came up. And so what the preacher did, he opened his Bible. One boy had been in church all of his life. He opened the preacher, opened the Bible. The little boy hadn't been in church much. He said, uh, what's he doing? He said, well, he's going to open the Bible and he's going to bring a message from the Bible. Then the preacher took his notes and he opened his notes and he got them all in order and laid them over to one side so he could know where he was going with his notes. Everything in order for the preacher. The little boy said, well, what's he doing? He said, well, that's the message. That's the sermon he's going to preach. He's going to tell us where to open our Bibles. He's going to tell us what to expect in the message. And then the preacher pulled his watch off. And he put it over to one side. The little boy asked him, what does that mean? He said, that don't mean nothing. <laughs> All right? Anyway. We're in a, the, the church is in a supposed to be four sermon series. Pastor got his started two weeks ago on days. the State of the Union, I guess is what he would call his, but where we are in the church. He was supposed to have had the, second, the Sunday behind that to follow up, and then the weather before he got into his series created havoc. And then last, last Wednesday he was supposed to continue and the weather again said, well, we can't come to church again on Wednesday night. So I guess he'll get his second message in somewhere. And mine is on missions. Thank you, Carver. You got that thing running behind me. Let me, let me say something about that behind me. These folk that you're looking at, they are simply an extension of Community Baptist Church around the world. Uh, I want you to get to know these people, and I'm assuming it's going to be, and it will cycle through, from uh, India to Brazil uh, to, uh, not Uganda, but um, uh, Indonesia, all over the world, Europe, Asia, wherever. These people are your hands and your mouth. My mission this morning is to preach on missions. And I want you to get acquainted with these. We'll have something to say about a number of them. I noted the Zemers just flashed away from us. I remember when the Zemers came here many years ago. They and another young couple the same age. And God led the Zemers to Romania. And at that time, the Wells family that was with them, they went to Brazil. 
and just own and own the people. I want you to get to know these people. They're doing some things that uh, God has not called you to do. And so I hope that we will understand the role of missions from Community Baptist Church and what God has, in, what your part and God is enabling you to do when we bring this thing to a conclusion this morning. Now you do have, uh, you have a little sheet of paper. There are a few blanks in it, and so we will test you at the end. You fill out the blank, fill in, no, I hope I'll give you the blanks to be filled in, that you can follow me as we go through this message this morning. But before we begin, let's go to the Lord and ask God to grace us with His presence and His power and give us understanding of what our part is in missionaries and support of missions to the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we know your, your mind and your heart is it's in missions. You tell us in many places, Jesus in his conclusion after the resurrection told us to go, to preach the gospel to every creature. We see the book of Acts that we are to be going. Uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon the church and we would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost part of the earth. That's a part of your plan today for this local church. For every Bible-believing local church there is on the face of the earth, around the globe, we're all to be mission-minded churches. So may we leave here today with more insight into missions, a greater burden than we've ever had, and a determination that we're going to fulfill our part as individuals in this great enterprise, missions. So bless us, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. If you'll open your Bibles with me, go ahead to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. Uh, this is uh, Jesus. Jesus initiated the, uh, the mission enterprise. Of course, Matthew chapter 4, you are aware of the temptation that took place, uh, 40 days in fasting and uh, praying and onslaught against Satan. And right after he came down from the mountain... We see that, that Jesus called to him, had a great following, a great number of people who were following him. So I begin here in verse 23, and says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25 says, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And so when Jesus is now entering into his public ministry, the general term here for followers says that great crowds, great crowds followed him. Uh, that, that is a general term within the sense that all of these who are following him at this point are not believers. Quite a following uh, as a matter of fact, many of these same ones uh, on the Sunday prior to his crucifixion, many of this same crowd is still there. And they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, the son of David. And uh, before Friday, they'll say, many of these will say, crucify him. Same crowd. So there are many people who know general knowledge of Jesus and who he is. But if we, if we go back prior to these verses, we see that there are some disciples. And uh, that will be an uh, understanding for your first blank. He sent out his disciples. He called his 
disciples. And so let's read this passage of Scripture beginning with verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net uh, into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father. Um, they were mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we see here this is a special group of people. If you turn over to chapter 10, and uh, we won't maybe read all of these verses, but there's a lot there in chapter 10 of what our Lord is doing, where He calls them the twelve disciples, and He gives them instruction. Chapter 10, and beginning here with verse 1, And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now watch verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out. You might want to underline that. These twelve Jesus sent out. Now go back to chapter 4. And of these followers, the multitudes, many were following. Some of those were believers. And, and many would, would, will be in heaven when you get there, but not all. But many of them were. But we find that Jesus had a, a particular task for 12 men, whom He called His disciples, named them as apostles, sent them out, and verse 5 says, He commanded them, saying... Now, you might really question in your mind. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Understand, Jesus came to His own people. John chapter 1 and I think it's verse 10. He came to His own people. He's ministering in these 12 chapters to His own people. But we're going to find as John 1.11 says, His own received Him not. And at this particular time in the life and the ministry of Christ, He's ministering to Israel, Old Testament chosen people of God. But we find just that one little commentary in John chapter 1, they did not receive Him. And actually when you turn into the end of chapter 11, you see Jesus turns away from an individual challenge to followers of Israel and opens the gospel up to the Gentiles. That's where you and I come in. So Jesus gave His people the first shot. They blew it. So understand when you read this, don't think Christ is being selective. He is, in a, in a sense... But he has a plan, a plan to expand the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. So this modern mission enterprise that we speak of, it involves disciples. Many are followers, but there are very few that become true disciples. A disciple, interesting word, is in the language, it's math, mathetes, compound word. I hear, you hear the word math, M-A-T-H in that? Mathetes, it's there. 
So when we take this word apart, we see math speaking to a, a mental effort that's needed to think something through. And then properly, a learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ, one who learns, <clears throat> one who learns the doctrines of the Scripture and the lifestyle they require, someone catechized with proper instruction from the Bible with its necessary follow-through. In other words, simply said, life application. One who, has, who is willing to lay all aside. And that's what we have behind me, and I see the Zemers out front there. There was just the two of them when they came the first time. Wow, they've multiplied, have they not? But how many churches, there's about three churches in Romania that he has established. He went to do a youth ministry. And a group of believers said, we need a pastor. And now he started his third church. He's built Camp Eli. Where's my Eli? Over there somewhere. He's got a camp in Romania, Camp Eli. As a matter of fact, we're talking about maybe going to Romania. We were designed to go there. The church was just a few years back. Pray about that, whatever God has. So disciples, modern missions, the, the enterprise, who are, who are missionaries? Well, they are Christians, Christians, followers of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us in Acts eleven twenty six that a distinction is made by the time you get to Acts 11, that those people at Antioch, they will call Christians first at Antioch. And that title has stayed with us unto this day. Who are they? They're Christians whom God has chosen. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Quite a text of scripture there. Uh, let, me, let me read that in the ESV. Christians are chosen people singled out of, of the world of, what, close to 7 billion people? And God's still calling out Christians for, for His namesake. I read verse 3, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, Christians are, are being blessed from the heavenly places in Jesus Christ through Him just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. That's lifestyle. In love, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Your salvation is, is not an accident. Praise God for that. But watch this next phrase here. To Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. So all of us, saved by the marvelous grace of a sovereign God, all of us, God has a will. God did not save you or I just to sit on the sidelines. He saved us. We're the chosen in Him. You know, my mind goes to, a, to the fact that God will bring to fruition uh, Port-au-Princesa, Philippines, Eternity Week. Once annually, the entire Bible Institute, Bible College, every student, all of the teachers, many of the Word of Life staff, go to a particular place. If I'm not mistaken, they may be doing Eternity Week right now. Well, that particular eternity week, there were 80 of us blitzing Port-au-Princesa. So many stories you can tell. 
but this one particular of how God will call and redeem His people. We are on R&R last night, but let me back up. One of, the, one of the students had done the sketchboard, and the sketchboard uh, takes the principle of salvation all the way through. And I noted, I did not speak to Golig, all right? But I noted that there was one little girl, I'd say maybe 9, 10 years old, maybe 11, glued to that sketchboard that that student was developing. And I went over to Elena, one of the staff ladies. I said, Elena, I've been watching that little girl. She has not taken her eyes off of that sketchboard. Go to her. Elena did. And Elena had begun the witness, drawing the net, so to speak. And out from one of the shops, we stepped a Muslim lady. She grabbed that little girl. This little girl was supposed to be keeping her children while she ran her shop. She grabbed that little girl and she snatched her away from Elena. Well, opportunity lost. Breaks your heart when you think of it, but that's not the end of the story. Friday night, or in our time, Beautiful boardwalk there in Port of Princessa, down by the, the bay there. We are rejoicing. We are worn out from the week of evangelism. Eating our good ice cream and chatting. And I look up, and who do you think's walking down the boardwalk by herself? This same little girl. I said, Elena, Elena. That's a little girl that was snatched away from you. Elena walks behind her. They sit on a wall right there. I see it right now. And God saved that little girl in spite of all that Satan <coughs> threw in that mix. Christians! I wonder where that little girl is today. I have no idea. But she became a believer that day, having been snatched away about three or four days prior to that. God is going to save His people. But God has a will for His people. And we need to understand that. So who, who are these people? Well, they're Christians. They're those who are called out. Where do these missionaries come from? Next blank, our church. They come from our church. Our churches. Churches of like faith. That's where they come from. I think of a, of a young man and his wife. As the law could tell a long story here in my first church. Troubled marriage. But I saw that marriage ultimately healed, and this man comes one Sunday and he says, Pastor, God's calling me to train and go as a missionary. I watched that man go through five years, Bible college, driving every day to Winston, well, class days to Winston-Salem, finish his degree. He had a little boy, son and a daughter, troubled young man, the son was. He was in my wife's Sunday school class. Uncontrollable. You've seen the kids that are bullied? Well, this kid was bullied. I remember one day driving up behind the school bus as it was bringing the kids home, and, and there was about three or four kids back there just pounding on Byron, beating on him. Bobby couldn't teach Sunday school for his behavior. She pulled him off to one side one Sunday and just corrected his behavior and told him that he was a distraction to the other boys and girls to know Christ. Byron got saved. When Byron Sr. 
And Doran and Byron Jr. went to the mission field. Byron Jr. went with them as a teenage boy at this time. Well, he's one of your missionaries today, Byron Jr. in Brazil. As a matter of fact, they've just worked themselves out of a job. And they're now ready to go and open and establish another church somewhere in Brazil. I don't see him, but he's... They're going to be here March 4th. Is that missions? Missions weekend? Yes. You're going to have the opportunity. You, some of you know Byron. Byron and Michelle will be They have three full-grown sons now. They're sons of, in America. Second generation. The Burns family are going to be here. Barry and Judy are going to be here. And uh, Titus, Cletus and uh, his wife, they're going to be here with us. That's at this point. We'll have others. But that's coming about four or five weeks from now. Keep that in mind. Christians, the chosen, where do they come from? Our church. What do missionaries do? They obey God's call. Look at uh, John chapter 15 and 16 here. Let me read it. Well, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. You didn't choose him. The scripture says that he chose you, and he appointed you, or ordained is the word I think in the KJV. He ordained you that from your life there would be fruit. That's part of being the Christian in the Christian family, those who are going to heaven. So they come from our churches. They obey the Lord. I like what Peter said about this chosen ones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from God's own possession, so that you may proclaim, watch this, you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we find that the missionaries... All are called, all, whether missionaries, as we use the term, every one of us is to obey God. Now, what are you to do? We can understand the framework of God's call, but what are you to do? Well, here's my proposition. My proposition is this, you, me, fulfill the great assumption as you maintain a driving compulsion to avoid a nagging compunction that will haunt you for the rest of your life if you don't obey God. So we get down to really the practical part of the message. The practical part is, number one, fulfill Jesus' great assumption. You're in Matthew. Go back, go to the end of Matthew, chapter 28, and verses 18 through 20. I thought that was the Great Commission. That's not the Great Commission. That's the Great Assumption. In other words, as we read this text, Jesus says, 18, Jesus came, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, if you will permit me, I'm going to read the next verse, 19, as it should be read. Now, let's go back in our mind. Christians, called out of God, church members. I'm going to read verse 19 a little different. Having gone, therefore, what did your scripture say? What word was there? It said go, didn't it? Jesus is saying it this way. 
Having gone, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That is not the mood of command. That verb that you see there is in the passive voice. It's not an imperative. It's not a command to go as we hear it said so many times. I like to think of it this way. Jesus, God says, I'll save you through Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to, from Jesus' words, I'm going to assume that you appreciate your salvation. You appreciate your call. So I'm not going to command you to go. I'm just going to assume you're going. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. And so, go ahead and call it the Great Commission. Okay, it doesn't bother me at all. But technically, if you look at the verse, it's an assumption. That because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you appreciate the fact that your sins are forgiven. Hell is no longer in your future. It's heaven. Doesn't Jesus have the right to assume what you would do and what I would do? So what an assumption Jesus made. All right, secondly, maintain a driving compulsion. The Apostle Paul tells us what motivated him. 2 Corinthians, I'll read this for you. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Your word in KJV is constrains us. Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. You're alive, don't live for yourself. But for him, that's Jesus, who died and rose again on your behalf. So Paul says this. There's your blank. What constrains you? He says the love of God controlled me. What's the controlling factor in your life? Well, let's go back to John 15, 16. B, the call of God. The call that God has extended to you. Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And what a, what a call that is. And don't ask me to explain why you and not someone else. Because it's inexplainable. But by God's grace, it is believable. If I had to explain everything in the Bible there is to explain, it would be impossible. I put it this way. Why did God choose me? That's the first question that must be answered. Why did God choose you? Well, it was for obedience. He chose you that you go forth and produce fruit. Thirdly, we see that you avoid a haunting compunction. Compunction. What is a compunction? A compunction is this. It's regret. It's reluctance. It's hesitation. It's shame. It's guilt. It's anxiety arising from the awareness of guilt. It's distress of mind over an anticipated action that we should have done and didn't do. That's the compunction. God has the right to save us, to send us. And if we don't do our part, then there is some guilt that we each one are going to bear. So what are you to do? So you won't have this guilt. Well, number one, plan to go to the mission field. Plan to go until God says, don't go. My wife and I wanted to go. Our whole ministry 
Praise the Lord, we had two years we did go. And if I had the health and the strength, I'd be there today. Two of the most fruitful years in our ministry. We did get to go. But let me say this to you. Not to bring guilt, no guilt trip. God does give permission to stay home. All right? I ran across this some time ago in our teaching in the Bible college. I call it the 95-5 formula. God calls 5% of all Christians to go to Utah, right behind him. They turn loose of all their belongings, they turn loose of mom and dad, and they go. 5%. God calls 95%, you're blank there, write it in, stay. God gives us, if everybody went, nobody would support missions. So, but we must be clear in our own heart and our mind. God says to 95% of Christians, you stay home. You get a job. You make money. Pastor preached a little bit on that Sunday so ago, did he not? So, to avoid this haunting compunction, stay home only if God gives you permission. Then what are you to do? We're the 95%, all right? Stay, pray, pray. Pray for those who are on the front lines. My, there are many out there. Let me read a, I'm going to read an excerpt from a letter from Pat Melton. Who knows Pat Melton? Where is he? He's in Japan. How old is Pat Melton? He's about 84, 85 years old. All right? Pat plans to die in Japan and be buried there. He's, he's pastoring and founding a, a New Testament church all at the same time as a missionary. Let me read just a little bit. This letter came on uh, January 3rd, 2018. Fresh. Paul says, uh, excuse me, Pat. Pat says, I have approximately 13,000 gospel tracts from the 50,000 we got last summer. I try to leave our residence at 8.30 to 9 a.m. daily to deposit 100 tracts into the Japanese mailboxes. This presently is allowable. And then he goes on down in the letter. And he says, For our church's Christmas meeting was made of announcements via house-to-house -house visitation and newspaper inserts, and over 10,000 10, families uh, were invited. A family of four, a grandmother, a son, daughter-in-law, and a five-year-old grandson who had never attended, attended our church. 13,000, excuse me, 10,000 contacts. And five people show up. This, does that discourage? No, it doesn't discourage. Pat, he's, Pat's had both knees replaced. All right? And he's every morning, how many... Gospel tracts did he get last summer? 50,000. And he's got 13,000 left. That's a pretty good average of putting the word of God out in his region of Japan, is it not? That's Pat. So, pray for those that are out there. I enjoy these letters. 
Pray for your involvement with these missionaries. How many of you have a mission, a missionary? See? How many of you know about what's happening with your missionary? Now, one last blank. Stay, pray, and pay. You hear me? How can they go unless they be sent? And how can they be sent unless we pay for them to go? That's the plan of God for the 95%. Our monthly missions budget is $2,500 a month. Barely met it last year. Just barely met it. Now let me say this. I'm talking about faith promise giving. Faith promise giving is giving above what you're supposed to be giving to the church. All right? Faith promise giving, and I like the way it was put in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The church, was, the, the, the church was receiving an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And when the poor people, let me read the text of Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. I wish I had, had the opportunity to do both chapters because it whole, both chapters are about faith promise giving. But listen to what this group of believers in Macedonia did. Verse 1, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. So I call it grace giving. We want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, now watch this, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we expected, but why do people give like they give? This next phrase explains it. Not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here's some people who didn't know where the next meal was coming from. And they said, Paul, we want to help. And God gave them grace that they could help. Now, where is this for you and I? Well, for me, it's faith promise. It was their heart that counted. God got the heart of this group of people, poor people, first. And God would supply their needs as they made commitment and they begged to be able to be a part of the mission's endeavor. Now, we've got people that can only give a little amount, but I'm begging you. This is not your regular church giving. Give. If it's only $5 a month. Tell you a story about one of my daughters. One of my daughters had made a commitment to Faith Promise Missions. I think it was for $5 a month. Just a child. It was $10 a month. That's what my wife is here for. $10 a month. We're loading up to go on vacation. Once ready to drive out. And one of the ladies in the church came and gave that to my daughter said, here, $10. Spend this on your vacation for whatever you want. My daughter looked at her mom and dad. 
and held that up and said, Faith, promise completed. You can't outgive God. You make a commitment to give a grace gift. And if it's only $5 a month, if, you, if that's all you've got, give it toward missions. Now, I look at that gentleman right there. Wow, he lives right down the road from us. He went to Liberia. Kicked him out. Well, they didn't kick him out. They closed the field of Liberia. He went to the Marshall Islands. and he and his, well, She's in bad health today. She's in very bad health. And he's on a cane. Let me get back. If that's all you can give, commit it to God and give it. But we have people who give quite a bit more to missions. And what you give is $5. If that's all you can give, if it's $20 a month, if that's all you give, that's as much as somebody who can give $1,000 a month. In God's eyes. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying, be involved. Every one of us. We've got 50 families active in Community Baptist Church. There are about 50 families that are here at one time or another. What could we do beyond what we're doing? So many thoughts come to my mind, and I know when I pull my watch off, it just still didn't mean anything. It does. It does. I'm conscious of time, okay? What does God want you to do? What does God want me to do? Bobby and I, and I'm not boasting, we've been giving faith promise since our first church. We went to our first church in 1970. They had two missionaries they supported. $15 each. And we began to introduce missions, missions, missions. And God began to grow the church. And they expanded the different missionaries. I don't remember how many were being supported when we left. The Athas was one of them. Oh, so many stories. So many stories. Make a commitment to missions. Above and beyond. And God will bless you. I think of one missionary, and I'm going to close with this one. I think of a missionary whom we never, never did support. The church didn't support him. Molly, Africa. Dave and Carol Richards. You remember their daughter came and lived with us for a while. Dave was in Molly. Dave's health was gone. Dave never needed support because the church had just supported Dave. That's the kind of missionaries you like, right? That you like to hear from them. Dave stood long about right here, question and answer time. One evening after he had presented his ministry, this came for fellowship, and I knew Dave had a bad heart and could die in Mali. And I said, Dave, why are you going back to Mali? And I remember just as well as if he said it right now, his answer was, I just got to. I just got to. Dave's retired now. Dave and Carol, she was a nurse living in the Salisbury area, still living with a bad heart, but he went back to Mali because he had to. He was one of the, which percent? The five percent. You're the 95. I'm part of the 95. Let's watch our missions grow.
from India, Indonesia, the, the different organizations, Wayne Christian School, Piedmont Bible, Piedmont Baptist, uh, Piedmont International University. Let's watch God do some things. The Zemers. All of, not all their children, I think three of them are in the States now. His dad is on staff at Word of Life, Florida, Mr. Zemer. He's maintenance down in Florida. What would God have you do? You, you be faithful. Be faithful. And don't make me have to stand again in another mission or business meeting and say we're, we're behind in missions. And I had to do that two or three times last year. That's not good for the 95%. That's not good for us. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what this was all about this morning for each individual because that's personal to each individual. I know what it's about to me. That's my vision. That's my mission vision, Father. And, and I, don't, I don't foster my mission vision on any person here, but I know you have one because you saved every person that's here that's in Christ, and you have a will for each one individually. So God, I'm going to just shut up. And I'm going to leave it in your hands, the hands of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for grace, the grace to give. And you just expand our mission field. And let us, all of these people that have been constantly rotating behind me, these organizations, let us be faithful as we stay to pray. And as you lead, pay that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go to the uttermost part of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.